Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken to us through your Son. Let your written word now be spoken and heard by each of us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand that we may not refuse your calling or ignore your voice. May we all be taught by you through your powerful word. Bring our every thought captive to obeying Christ to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Our first scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Last week with Pentecost, we began a sermon series that we'll use through most of the summer on new. The Bible points to many things and calls it new, new name, new commandment. Last week, new song. Next week, new vision. Today, new life. And of course, we turn to the third chapter of John. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of the Lord. Rounds us, it comes from all angles, the headlines. Low pay harms K through 12, teacher recruitment and retention. Egypt finds belongings, debris, from a plane crash at sea, reporting rape and wishing she hadn't. Fleeing gangs, children head to U.S. border. CDC says 157 pregnant women in U.S. test positive for Zika. Is the American dream dead? And that's just what I gathered in the last 48 hours of our news. If you let all this sink in this morning, it's almost impossible to see what's on the other side of that mountain of despair. It's not that we don't try. We're constantly working on solutions. What do we do with all the children at the border? Well, we could send them back to their home uh, countries, or we could get the National Guard to defend the border and, and make sure the children don't get in, or we could become a safe haven for refugees. There you go, there's a tangle. How about Israel-Palestine? Some say Israel needs to withdraw from Gaza. Some say, yeah, but Palestinians need to reject Hamas, or, or do we just flip a coin? What about working families that cannot make ends meet? Do we raise the minimum wage, or do we curtail benefits to act as an incentive, or what? Most of the time, in all this vexing complexity, we really don't know how we're going to get to tomorrow. In John's text, Nicodemus wanted to see tomorrow. Nicodemus had heard that Jesus was giving sight to the blind, helping the lame to walk, and making the sick well again. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, he is surrounded by the pain and strife and despair of his day. Whatever the circumstance and context, this well-credentialed leader is desperate for some sign of new life. He goes cautiously in the middle of the night to see if there is any hope for the next day. Jesus tells him he has to be born anew in order to see the kingdom of God, born anew to see a tomorrow where God vanquishes war and violence, where God calms every fear, and all despair. And the last we hear from Nicodemus in this text is him asking, how can this be? The question, how can this be, has Nicodemus hooked on the mechanics of it all. How exactly is God going to bring new life? Can you diagram that for me? Uh, how could God possibly work out all these vexing, competing problems? Nicodemus is focused on the mechanics rather than wondering about God whose power and presence makes this so. Our problems are not solved by mechanics. Our problems will never be solved by mechanics. 
After Nicodemus' incredulous question, how can these things be, Nicodemus withdraws. And all we're left with is Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus' words are directed specifically to us. Very truly, I tell you. We want to believe that God has power to bring life out of death, but look at the headlines. How can this be? We want to see tomorrow, but try as we might, we find it difficult to see a tomorrow that is not as bleak and foreboding as today. Strikingly, though, every generation deals with struggles about tomorrow. A married couple was recently debating whether after years together they wanted to have children. The discussion was, did they want to bring children into a world that has school shootings and economic uncertainty and wars and threats of wars and a faltering planet? Sharing the wrestling with her father, she was surprised to find out that her parents had exactly the same conversation a generation ago as they debated about their world of gas shortages and Iran hostages and runaway of inflation and a tense Cold War. A while ago, a friend was in a seminary class about caring for older adults, taught by a professor who himself was a wonderfully insightful older adult. He taught not only from his study and his research, but from his own experience and that of his friends who were living well in their older years. There were two main lessons from the class. First of all, as we age, that does not mean that we are not capable of new ideas. Think of Nicodemus. Age can bring wisdom and fresh insight if we will let it. Second, the professor warned his students of the back-in-the-day phenomenon, otherwise known as the good old days conviction. He said this happens in every generation as we age, that hardly a conversation goes by with his friends when one of these lines doesn't sneak in. The streets were safer back in my day. In the good old days, parents disciplined their children and children listened. Really? Back in my day, divorce wasn't so rampant. Back in my day, there were stronger morals. If this talk went on for very long, the professor would cut his friends off. Really? 70 years ago, the world was better? Really? A time when lynching was commonplace? A time when women had little, if any, voice? A time when significant marginalized groups were ignored or worse? That's better? Really? On the morning of Tuesday, October 23rd, 1962, most women, men, and children in North America woke up and perhaps for the first time collectively wondered if they'd just seen the last sunrise of their life. The Cuban Missile Crisis was on the verge of boiling over. Schools were having duck and cover drills. Families were stocking their home fallout shelters. Yes, that was a thing. Folks were desperate to keep their family close in case, in case, in case there was no tomorrow. If, on the morning of Tuesday, October 23rd, 1962, or at noon on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, or 
on the evening of December 7th, 1941, or two days after you just lost a loved one, or two hours after you just got a dire diagnosis. If someone in one of those moments had come to you and said, all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well, and you shall this day receive the gift of God's new life, we may well echo Nicodemus, how can this be? Jesus' answer to how can this be about our tomorrow is not a plan, a graph, it's not an equation or a formula, it's not a recipe or a new program. Jesus brings new life in real time. Jesus always brings new life right now in the midst of whatever we are subsumed by. As we live out faithfulness in the midst of every single place of death and despair that seeks to rob us of life. You cannot prove the promises of God in advance, Tom Long has said, but if you live them, they are true every single time. In the early days of the AIDS epidemic, a physician named Joyce Wallace was a tireless worker against the disease. It's hard to remember in the early 80s what frenzy and fear surrounded this. She took to cruising the west side of Manhattan in a specially equipped van, willing to pay people on the streets and prostitutes and others $20 on the spot to be tested for HIV. That brought down upon her the scorn of the entire medical establishment. However, she refused to be dissuaded for, from her mission or confined to the conventional definitions of what was possible. In fact, she drew inspiration from her mother, whose whole working life was as a teacher of children with brain injuries. One particularly powerful memory was when her mother had her class stage a production of My Fair Lady, and she gave the lead role to a girl in a wheelchair. It never occurred to the mother, according to Dr. Wallace, that the audience so conditioned by life's boundaries, so used to knowing exactly what was possible and was not possible, would first be shocked and then would weep when the little girl rolled herself across the stage in her wheelchair at the climax of My Fair Lady singing, I could have danced all night. After a formal presentation, Maya Angelou was once asked this question, Dr. Angelou, is racism better today or is it worse today? And is it better on the West Coast or on the East Coast? Maya Angelou responded with a story. A decade earlier, she had visited San Francisco to do a guest spot about African art on public television. Before the show, she got a call from a stranger who said, I have some African statues you may need to, you may, may be able to use. He visited the man and his art and became friends with the man and his wife. A few years later, she returned to the Bay Area and she called up the man and said, it's my Angelo, I'm back in town. I wondered if you all would like to meet for dinner. He was glad to hear from her and they talked a bit about what he'd been up to over the last couple of years when they'd last seen each other. He'd been in Europe working with the problems of American troops stationed there. How'd it go, Maya Angelou asked. 
Well, the black troops have a particularly hard time because they are black and there aren't many blacks around, but our boys also. What did you say? I said the black troops have a particularly difficult time for various reasons, but our boys also. What did you say? Third time they went through it. All of a sudden, as she described it, he finally heard his own words and exclaimed, this is the most awful thing that I have ever said in my life. I can't continue this conversation. I have to hang up. To have said such a thing to you, Maya Angelou, the black boys, our boys. She said, no, no, this is why we have to talk because this is what racial prejudice is. Beneath the superficial liberal utterance, there's deep ingrained sense of black boys and our boys. They painfully continued the conversation and agreed to meet, but he didn't show. She tried calling, he didn't respond. He was repelled. The story she told about this was an answer to the question, tell us about racism today. In the telling of it, she became very emotional, and she ended the Q&A right there. The next day, she returned to the podium and said, I'm sure you noticed I was kind of overcome yesterday by what I told you in answer to the question about racism. Then she said, a remarkable thing happened on my way out of the hall. A man in the audience stood up and said, here I am. It was the man that she'd been talking about. She said that the man himself again rose up from the audience. He was a small, white, Episcopal clergyman. He walked up to the platform and threw his arms around Maya Angelou, and she threw her arms around him, and they wept there together on stage. In that story, there was life. But life is always disrupted. I don't have to tell anybody in this room Life is always disrupted. It's always fraying apart. And then by grace, there is new life. Toward the end of a conference on emerging biblical themes, seminary professor Tech Sample and his good friend Jimmy Hope Smith were together with some others just kind of debriefing uh, how the week had gone they got to one of those moments when someone in the group began to share something that was very, very close. He began to talk about his family. His teenage son had been killed one night just out with friends, a random drive-by shooting. His wife was inconsolable. A month after their son's death, this man described coming home to find his wife under the bed where She'd taken the drugs that ended her life. The pain of his wife's death on top of the violence toward his son consumed him. Maybe you've been in one of those rooms where finally what gets talked about is so heavy and so close, you, you cannot lift it, you cannot move it. <clears throat> Jimmy Hope was sitting to the man's right and he turned around to face the man. He said, I want to tell you something. I'm a deacon in my church, and I believe with every fiber of my being in the promises of God. And by the power of Christ, I am promising you that God brings life out of death. 
God brings life out of every single place of death. And then Jimmy Hope Smith started drawing the sign. He touched the, the man's chest and just started tracing the sign of the cross. Over, he didn't stop. Over and over again, he was tracing the sign of the cross on the man's chest. And he said, I want you to know that in your pain, God is coming to you. You can trust that. Against everything else, trust that. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he heard rumors of new life. Far from receiving a plan, a blueprint, a roadmap, a program, Nicodemus received the invitation to trust the Spirit of God, which brings new life. The thing is, that new life comes by way of God's Spirit, which is called wind, God's wind, God's Spirit. It blows where it will. All places, everywhere, everyone, you can't keep it out. God's wind blows in your life today. It will blow in the most desolate landscapes on this earth that we can possibly imagine. The wind of the Spirit can blow through the White House and through the Kremlin, no less than in Syria and Gaza or in the waves of grief of Egypt today or South Sudan today or corners of Austin today. The wind of the Spirit can blow through a house of bereavement and a house of fear. It can blow through a family broken and a family breaking. It can blow through addiction. It can blow through despair. It can blow through any church in God's creation. Pick the bleakest headline. Pick the the hardest place you can imagine. And even there, you can detect the fainting, the stirrings of a breeze, a wind, the Spirit moving, saying to you, you can be born anew. There is a way to get from today to tomorrow with God. It's the reason we, it's the only reason, friends, that we gather together in worship Sunday after Sunday so that we can together declare together that God has the power to bring life out of death. Holding on to the promises of God, we stake our lives together that God brings new life into every single place where there is peril. You know, you cannot prove the promises of God in advance. But if we will live them, they are true every single time.